Before we actually get into this, I have to issue you a caveat, and that is we could all stand to improve on prayer, wouldn't you agree? And there's going to be some things, you know, we, we could stand to improve in how much we pray, certainly how we pray, our motives in prayer, and also our patience in prayer, and there are probably many other things, but I think it stands to reason. I know that I can, there's room for improvement in my life when it comes to prayer, and I'm sure the same is probably true for you. So we're going to be looking at some things this morning as we go through this model prayer that Jesus spoke to his disciples on, and some of it's going to be uh, challenging to you, and I don't want you to be discouraged. I, I want to tell you right up front that if, uh, the main thing is that you speak to your Heavenly Father, that you pray to him, and don't let anything get in the way of that, and don't let any form, I mean, we're going to be, t- this model prayer is here for a reason, and we'll talk about that, but please understand, don't walk away today Uh, feeling discouraged because you're not doing this or doing that. The the way to approach this is to think, okay, whatever I'm doing, I can improve on this, and maybe I want to think about this, and maybe I want to change this because it'll help me to stay focused, and it'll keep me remembering who it is that I'm praying to. And that's really the purpose of this. So take it as a means of whatever you're doing and, and making it better. And the Lord is fine with that because he's been hearing your prayers so far. There is no magic formula. There is no way that you have, no posture that you need to be in, no specific place that you need to be in. And there's no magic words. And so know that going in because my hope is that you'll be encouraged and challenged because I need that as well. But first, let's read... This passage today, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And we're just going to look at verses 5 through 15, and I'm hoping to finish it today. But with communion, I'm not sure if we will be able to. We'll see how things go. But notice what it says. Jesus, speaking to his disciples on this hill in Galilee many, many years ago, he says, and when you pray... You shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray that to your Father who is in the secret place. Notice that, the Father who is in the secret place. I love that. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. And in this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And that's always a very uh, difficult thing to hear. Wouldn't you agree? (laughs) It's never easy to hear that. But this model prayer that we have just read has often been called the Lord's Prayer. But it really is not. It's really a disciple's prayer. It's a prayer for us, the body of Christ. Jesus, if you remember, in fact, why don't you go ahead and turn there with me to John chapter 17. We're just going to look at the first five verses of this. But there is where the Lord's Prayer is recorded because that's Jesus praying to his Father, not only praying for himself, but also praying for his disciples and also for all of us who would believe on on the message through them. And you know who those people are? Us. (laughs) So Jesus first prays for himself in John 17. He prays for his disciples, and then he prays for all of us who would believe on him through their testimony. But notice what it says here in John 17. This is the Lord's Prayer. Jesus spoke these words, and he lifted up his eyes, notice, to heaven. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth, I have finished the work which you have given me to do, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Isn't that an amazing prayer? And it goes on and on, but that is the Lord's Prayer. Now, people call this the Lord's Prayer, and there's no sense in changing all of the textbooks and all the commentaries. Everybody has recited the Lord's Prayer, and this is what they do, and and that's all fine and good. But I just want you to understand that the Lord's Prayer is John 17. That's where he speaks to his Father privately and personally. And this right here is really a model prayer for us. And, um, and this prayer is recited over and over in many churches. And uh, I fear that the true purpose of it can be obscured. But it is a prayer that we can use as a means of keeping our prayer from wandering and becoming rote. Think of uh, each phrase as we get into this as a heading under which you can pray accordingly. Has anybody prayed a rote prayer or uh, have you had a wandering prayer? Or have you had a sleeping prayer complete with snoring involved? Have you prayed the same thing hundreds of times? And don't get me wrong, we should persist in prayer. The Bible tells us that. But have you prayed using the same list on that worn sheet of paper that's in the middle of your Bible? Have you fallen asleep during prayer? We've seen this over the years at Calvary Chapel, even in the front row. While we were, I uh, remember one time Pastor Jeff was sharing a message, and there was a guy in the front row who was pretty loud in his snoring. Somebody had to nudge him, and you know, <laughs> it was called a sleeping prayer is what he was doing. But during prayer, um, had this ever happened to you where allowed, you allowed your mind to begin thinking about things of the day, the meetings, the appointments, your brain is already in set for the day? Has that happened to you? And maybe during prayer while you're communicating with your Heavenly Father, have you entertained an evil thought about something or someone? 
Has that ever happened to anybody? Because it's happened to me. And don't be surprised if during some of your most holy moments that you are bombarded with evil thoughts. Why? Because it's a spiritual battle. It's been said that Satan is not afraid of the carnal Christian who doesn't pray, but he is very afraid of a committed Christian who prays because he knows that there's power in prayer. Our communication with God strengthens us and it also gets us in tune with him. And that's the last thing Satan wants. He wants you distracted. He wants your phone buzzing. He wants your text messages zipping. He wants your emails coming in, your kids screaming, everything keeping you away from that one central thing that God desires, and that's just to have fellowship with you. He wants to have fellowship with you. The Bible says in James, uh, Jesus' half-brother wrote this. He says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. Why? That you may be healed. But here's the point. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So how important is it for us to pray? Because here's the thing, folks. In a very busy world, which we know we live in, anything we can use as an aid to help us stay focused and stay on track is a good thing. Wouldn't you agree? So notice verse 5 back in our uh, text this morning. He says, and when you pray. Notice when you pray. This phrase is mentioned three times in this this chapter. And in verses uh, 5 here and then 6 and then in verse 7 as well, you notice when he says when you pray, not if you pray, but when you do, you shall not be like the hypocrites, the play actors, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be noticed, seen by men. Assuredly, Jesus says, I say to you, they have their reward. They have their reward. Jesus, remember, upbraided the Pharisees. These men were very good at the external things. In fact, they taught the external things, but God was always concerned about the internal reality of their walk. But again, the externals, anybody can do. You can fool man. You can fool everybody around you, but you cannot fool God because he can see through the externals and he can see directly on your heart like nobody else can. And so let's endeavor to not try to put on airs ever. In anything we do, let's just be honest and not try to look at one another and size each other up. Well, you're a prayer warrior and I'm not, or you're further along. Don't even worry about that. Can we just love one another without walking around with these special badges? Now, maybe that's not a problem in in this fellowship, but I know in fellowships it is. We, We can have a spiritual pride. But notice what Jesus says to the scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, play actors, for you devour widows' houses. And for a pretense, you make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. The idea of pretense is for show. It's just fake. You've heard of fake news. Well, this is fake prayer. Fake prayer. You're just putting on a show for everyone to see. But notice verse 6. But you, when you pray, notice again the second time, go into your room and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. Now, you don't always have a secret place and maybe you can't go into your door and, and, and have a quiet time. Your, your, your prayer time may be on 490 on your way to work with your eyes open, of course. That may be your prayer time. Or like Susanna Wesley, her prayer time was taking her apron with 10 kids in the room and putting it over her head so she could pray. That was her quiet place. 
But notice, your father who sees, who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will, will reward you openly. Notice again, when you pray, not if you pray, because it is one of the most significant, but yet the most neglected activities or forms of worship in the church. One great man said, prayerlessness is another sin of omission. It is a sort of creeping paralysis which begins in neglect of prayer and ends in utter prayerlessness. Prayerlessness is the root sin. By neglect of prayer, a Christian becomes prey to a hundred vices. All sorts of creeping things crawl underneath the heavy stone of neglect, which once removed causes them to scurry out of the sunshine of fellowship with God. But by neglecting prayer, a Christian robs himself of the counsel of God, quenches the spirit, hinders his growth in Christ. He finds it easier in prayerlessness to harden his heart against his brother and his neighbor. And the only cure for prayerlessness is prayer. Such prayer should begin with the confession of the sin of prayerlessness. And if the, prayerlessness one, if the prayerless one still finds it hard to pray, then he should start to praise God for his many wonderful benefits. And if praise does not loosen his tongue, then he should confess the sin of ingratitude. It's pretty strong, isn't it? But prayer is significant. It may be the most difficult form of worship for us. It seems like a simple thing. But because of the weakness of our flesh and the increasing busyness of our lives, prayer is often the thing that is neglected the most. And yet, uh, prayer is worship because it does require sacrifice, doesn't it? There are three things I'm going to share with you that are things that are, I believe, difficult for all of us. And the first one is, uh, this is why it's sacrificial. Number one, because it takes time. Time is, you know, you've heard the saying, time is money. And, you know, everybody has filled their lives so full that we don't have time to pray. The fact of the matter is we need to remove other things from our life to cut back on things that aren't really important and focus on the one thing that really is important. Because that is the one thing that God holds near and dear to his heart. That's the one way that we can be honest before him, that we can get ourselves quiet before him. Turn off your cell phones, your televisions, turn off everything. Drive to a park if you have to and sit in darkness early in the morning or, or, or sit in the park somewhere in, the, in your car. Wherever you've got to go to get alone and, and just read and to pray. I fear today in the church that we really don't do that as much. Everything else has a precedence over prayer. And yes, God is gracious and he's loving and compassionate. There's no doubt about that. And you're not going to go to hell because you haven't prayed enough. I mean, there's not some kind of, it's not a legalistic thing. But isn't it true that if he saved your soul and saved you from eternal damnation and given you his Holy Spirit, that you might etern- you might um, uh, inherit eternal life with him forever, I think I want to spend time and get to know this one. I want to spend time to get to know him. But it does take time, and we prove our relationship with the Lord by how much or little time we spend in prayer. If time is valuable and we know that it is, how important is it that we spend 
spend it communing with the one who has given it to us. Because after all, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the keeper of time. He's the author of time. He who holds it all together, including our very next breath, it does require time. And it requires faith as well. In Hebrews it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Yes, it requires faith. Because why would you pray to a God that can't help you? I wouldn't want to pray to a God who's not real. You'd be wasting your time. You literally would be wasting hundreds and thousands of hours of your life praying to somebody who doesn't exist. And God is saying, I do exist. Everything, the heavens declare my glory. And now that my spirit is in you, dear child, do you know that I love you, that I'm your heavenly father and I want to talk to you? I want you to talk to me. Regardless of what you may get out of it or not, spend the time Hasn't God proven himself to be faithful? I mean, if he hasn't, then you're not paying attention. (laughs) But he has. He's been very faithful to us. In Hebrews it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So he does reward us when we come to him because we diligently seek him in prayer, diligently seek him in the word. Get to know this one who has saved you that you're going to spend an eternity before. Why wouldn't I want to do that now when it's going to be true after I die or the rapture comes, whichever is first, right? But notice also that prayer requires patience. It requires diligence, fortitude, and perseverance. In Psalm 40, David said this. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. I waited patiently. That means, yes, the, old, the saints of old, they waited upon the Lord. They waited. They got in their stillness. They went to the secret place, and they waited, and they let God form their thoughts. And they communed with him. In Psalm 25, David says again, Oh my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously treacherously without cause. But show me your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. I love that. Now, I don't want to put anybody to shame here to and, you know, put some kind of guilt trip on you, but we do have a, a prayer meeting here at the church. It's Tuesday night at 7 p.m. And we also have prayer before the services in the prayer room just opposite that door on the side there. And I would encourage you to come. But even in our personal life, if we don't have a time of prayer every day or haven't developed a prayer life throughout the day, You are missing out. You're missing out. But don't come to prayer out of guilt. My intention this morning is to challenge you, certainly, because I need to challenge myself. Do you understand? I'm just as busy as you are. 
But I have, to, I have to carve out the time. That's what worship is. It is a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of time. It requires faith. It requires diligence. It requires patience. Think about it and pray that, that God could, would change your heart and that you would do it out of love for him and nothing else. Do it or, or don't come to prove anything to anyone but rather do it because God wants to commune with you. Do it because God loves you and you love him. Do it because communication is the foundation of every relationship, isn't it? Prayer is that for us with God. It's, a, it's, it's communication with somebody who loves us. And you can't have a relationship with somebody you don't communicate with. And Jesus prayed to his father. And if he did, then how more important is it for us? Almighty God prayed to Almighty God. Think of that. And not only that, but the riches of God await us. The riches of God await us. In Proverbs 25, it says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. In Romans, Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Unsearchable riches await us. In prayer. There are things that God does in the stillness and the quiet that we can't even imagine. There are things, just like as they were building the temple, there, there was a time when, when they were building Solomon's temple that they, they, they quarried the rock away from the area where the temple mount was. You would never, and then when they brought all the materials together, you, you couldn't hear anything. It was very quiet. There were no tools fashioning anything, and they did it in the secret. And God was doing so many wonderful things in the quiet. That's like when he, was, when he spoke to what Elijah and Moses and the fire and the wind and the rain and, the, and, and just the smoke and everything else, the fire. But God wasn't in any of those things. But he spoke in a still, small voice. And God wants to speak to us in that still, small voice. But sometimes I can be so busy, I can be so distracted by the busyness of my own life, and my mind just won't turn off. Does anybody have that problem? Where even when you lay in bed at night, you're thinking, you're thinking about the day that you just had, and then you're also forecasting what's happening tomorrow. You just can't turn off. And, you know, life is busy. But we need that discipline. I need that discipline. And I know that you probably do too. To the discipline to, to be in prayer more often than we are. But when you pray, go into your room. And when you shut your door, pray to your father who's in the secret place. The secret place. Yes, Psalm 91. Safe, you know, where he says, He who dwells excuse me, in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. But he who dwells in the secret place, then he shall abide under the shadow. But if I'm not dwelling in the secret place, I'm not dwelling in his shadow, and I'm not going to receive as much 
or anything, but abide in Christ. And prayer is the secret to every ministry. This one as well. You remember Charles Spurgeon, the English pastor. There's a story that says five college students visited London one Sunday to hear Charles Spurgeon preach at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. They arrived early and were met by a kind gentleman who offered to give them a tour. At one point, he asked them if they would like to see the furnace room in the basement. And it was a hot July day and the students were not interested. But not wanting to appear rude, they consented. And so their their guide quietly opened the door and there in the basement of the Metropolitan Tabernacle, there were several hundred people fervently praying for the service that was about to begin. It was then that their guide introduced himself. He was none other than Charles Spurgeon himself. And he wanted these college students to understand that prayer was the power source of his ministry. Prayer truly is the power plant of the church. It's true, isn't it? And think about what the Lord could do through us If any church in this city or in this country approached prayer that way, think of what could happen if the church, if we prayed that fervently and we did it in mass, in numbers. God doesn't need numbers, don't get me wrong, but you know what? There's something that that, that tells you there's a litmus test on the church in America. And I think the litmus test shows that we really need to grow in this area. I need to grow in this area. The church in America, we need to grow in this area. If every church was praying when they had prayer meetings and they all got together, do you know what would happen to this country? It would blow up in a good way. It would. It would change things. But pray to your Father who's in the secret place. And he who sees in secret will will reward you openly. This phrase seems to be in opposition from what Jesus said back in chapter 5, doesn't it? Because back in chapter 5, beginning in verse 14, notice what Jesus said. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Notice, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Well, doesn't that sound like a, 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 a complete opposite of what he's telling us right now? It does, I guess, but it's really not meant to be. We should let our light so shine before men. We should let people see, but not for the intention of being seen, but just to be who you are, to do what God has called you to do and not be thinking about, well, I'm going to do this because somebody will see me and I will, you know, I'll, I'll look better if I do this. No, you're not thinking about any of that. You just do what God has put in you and the very fact that you're doing it and not being concerned about anybody or anything else You are being a light on a hill. You are being a salt in the world. But back in Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the scribes, they stood with their colorful robes all decked out in in their robes, and they positioned themselves very keenly in the right places just so everybody could see maybe on the corner where everybody could see them coming by, and he would raise his hands, Oh, mighty God! 
And everyone's looking, wow, that guy, he's so holy. I want to go where, I want to I I meet that rabbi. I want to I touch him. Can I just touch the hem? And God is going, don't touch him, because I'm not listening to him. I'm not listening to him, because he's not praying to me. He ceased praying to me a long time ago. He's praying to all of you, though, so enjoy your reward, because you're not going to get one in heaven. But it's the motive of the heart, isn't it? And Jesus was always putting a finger on the behavior that he was seeing at his time. So verse 7, he says, And when you pray the third time, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. A vain, empty repetition is something that we can all be guilty of. I've seen this, especially in some denominations, where this very model prayer, uh, prayer excuse me, will be recited several times throughout the service. And it can sound, and, and, and no, nothing wrong with that, okay? It's, it's a model prayer. It's worth to be spoken, certainly. But the congregants can get into this monotonous, monotone. It's like a robotic thing. There's no enthusiasm. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom. And, and they're saying it. They're not even thinking about what they're saying anymore. And it's just rote repetition, just to fill in the liturgy. So we have to be careful of that. The words are spoken, but... Not everybody's thinking about the words. Now, there may be some who are in that fellowship or in that church that really are thinking about it. Praise God if they are. But I know there have been times I've been in places and I've heard that and I'm just like, kind of breaks your heart because they're just going through this motion. And we can go through the motions too. Just because we're Protestants doesn't make us uh, any more guilty of rote or repetition and the things that we can do. But always think about what you're saying. Remember who we're saying it to. It's to God. We're not, we're not here for people. We serve one another, yes, but when we pray and when we worship, it's about him. It's about Jesus. But even in pagan cultures, we know this in, in 1 Kings chapter 18. We were just looking at this a few weeks ago on Thursday night. By the way, I would encourage you to come to our Thursday evening service. We're in the Old Testament. And for the most part, on Sunday morning, we're in the New Testament. Come to the Thursday night because you're only getting half the story. The Old Testament's very important. And there's lessons and things to be learned. You're only getting half of your diet. Join us on Thursday nights. But what does it say? Remember when Elijah was facing off with the 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel? Yes, the vain repetition was very evident there, wasn't it? And it says that they took a bull which was given them and they prepared it and they called on the name of Baal, and these are the, the Baal worshipers, from morning until noon saying, Oh, Baal, hear us! Oh, Baal, hear us! And they just did this from evening or from the morning until noon, but there was no voice and no one answered because they were worshiping a demon and almighty God has power over all things and believe me even if that demon was able to speak God was shutting him up for that moment is he able is he powerful is he greater yes he is 
He's greater than it all. But there was no answer. And then they leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah started mocking them, saying, Cry a little more, for he is a god. He's either meditating. Maybe he's busy. He's checking his email. He's on a journey. Or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. And they cried out the more, saying the same thing. Oh, Baal, hear us. And then it wasn't good enough. So they had to take out their their, their Swiss army knife and start cutting themselves and blood is gushing out and they're worshiping their God and there's nothing happening. And Elijah's over there looking at his nails. Good grief. Is there a medic in the house? These guys are bleeding to death. Oh, there'll be plenty of bloodshed afterwards because he would execute all of them. Repetition, repetition, mindless, repetitive, meaningless stuff. Oh, Baal, hear us. Oh, Baal. Like, like if they say it enough times, Baal will go, oh, 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 that's right. i got to go do something. God's going, don't do that. You don't have to do that. I believe that prayer ought to be led by the Holy Spirit. It ought to be sincere. It ought to be reverent, thoughtful, specific, intelligent, and yes, even desperate. Because the worship that the prophets of Baal offered certainly wasn't led by the Holy Spirit of God. It certainly wasn't intelligent nor reverent. But let me tell you, it was indeed desperate. And no doubt they were sincere in it. But we can be sincerely wrong. Isn't that amazing? We can be sincerely wrong. We can be deceived. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on who? Those who quote and, and, and say repetitive things and, and worship and, and on their knees in glass, you know, uphill in the snow. No. He shows himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly, therefore from now on you shall have wars. <laughs> But I believe God responds to true desperation. He does. He's done it in my life. I've, I've actually come to the point where I'm like, Lord, if I don't hear from you, I'm going to fall apart. I'm, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to lose it, Lord. I feel like I'm right on the edge of something. I can't. Uh, anybody felt that way in the last couple years where you just felt on the edge and you're like, everything is falling apart. Everything is falling apart. My health is falling apart. And now that I got the COVID vaccine, there's this growth growing out of me and another head. And, then, and now, now I've got cancer in my big toe. And... But what does the Bible tell us? Confess your trespasses to one another. Again, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I want to encourage you to don't be afraid to break out of your normal repetition. Don't be afraid to break out of that. Address the Lord certainly in a reverential way that you, uh, that you have. Keep it fresh. Keep it thoughtful. Think about who it is you're speaking. I typically have the, uh, the way when I start prayer, it's, it's the same thing. And I've just been really encouraged lately just to try different things, just to really think about different ways that I can address the Lord, just to get me out of my rut. Does anybody experience that? And again, don't be, remember the caveat that I set up front? Now I'm getting into it, okay? Don't be discouraged, but let it challenge you a little bit. Maybe you can think a little differently. But as you pray with people over time, you'll notice the same thing. They start off the same exact way, and there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes, and this is true for me, I'll, I'll put myself on the spot here. It's true for me that I just say the phrases and I'm not really thinking but I think sometimes it's good just to be fresh and say, 
Lord, you are awesome. I really want to think about what I'm saying here, and I want to switch it up a little bit. I want to change it up a little bit. And this model prayer can keep you focused, but also give you a great deal of flexibility. They think they'll be heard for their many words. Notice there at the end of verse 7. Remember who you're praying to. In Luke chapter 18, there was a time that a Pharisee and, and, a, and, a, and a tax collector were praying. And it says, two men went up to the temple to pray. And one was a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Notice, he prayed thus with himself. And actually, it could be tr- translated, standing, he prayed to himself. So he's not praying to God anymore. He's just praying to himself. God's rolling his eyes because he's like, well, this is all about you, pal. This is not about me. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. Have you seen my curriculum vitae? I went to Harvard and Oxford. I hold distinguished degrees all over the, the country and the world. I give tithes of all that I possess. And this tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you know what happens. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For he who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. But our many words aren't going to get it done. Ecclesiastes has a great verse for us. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know what the, that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth. And so often I can rush into the prayer room and just start unloading to God my list of things that maybe I had 50 years old or 20 year old thing in my Bible and I just keep pulling out the same list and I just rush in and I just start hitting them. Let not your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. I like that. You know, this may actually do the opposite of what I'm hoping, but I think both of these things we need to be careful of. Yes, we need to pray and be comfortable in prayer. That's certainly true. But we also have to recognize who God really is. Because we're not even going before a president. Think about that. If you were to appear before a president and you have to give a speech, you'd probably memorize it. You'd probably time it. You'd probably have a few cards with you just to make sure you got it right. But yet when we go before the creator of the universe, I can be so sloppy sometimes. I can just go before him and just boom. Nothing wrong with that either. But remember who it is that you're praying to. Remember who it is. Some of the best prayers are the shortest. You remember in Nehemiah, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter uh, 2 real quick. Nehemiah chapter 2. Again, I told you I'd be getting on your case a little bit, but don't let this discourage you. Take a listen to all of this and just start thinking about prayer. Because God is hearing you now. If your heart is, if you love him, he's hearing you. But if you're like me, I can be so distracted, and I can be so sloppy, and I can, I can kind of just think of him just kind of like, ah, oh, he's just another friend, you know? But he's more than a friend. He's your Savior. He's, your, he's Almighty God. 
But notice what Nehemiah, and I am sure that Nehemiah now living in, being in Babylon or being in the far east where he's at and now he's standing before the king, this pagan king now and during the exile. And it came to pass in the month of Nizon in the 20 year of King Artaxerxes when wine was before him that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid, Nehemiah says, because to stand before a king like that with a sad countenance is a real slap in the face to the king because he's the one who's providing for all your needs. And if you're not happy, you're basically saying you're not doing a good job. So, and he said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the, when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and the gates are burned with fire? And then the king, this pagan king, said, what do you request, Nehemiah? And notice, so I prayed to the God of heaven. How long do you think he prayed? Standing before Artaxerxes Longimanus. Hang on a minute, king. Just give me a few seconds. Just give me like 15 minutes. Be right back with you. And he bows his head. No. Nehemiah had already prayed. He had been pre-prayed. He'd been praying about this moment, but at that moment he's like, okay, now is the time, Lord. Help me. And it may have been that simple. Gulp, help, Lord. Here we go. I'm sure it was an instant The shortest prayer in the Bible, whatever it was, was very effective because now the king would let them, give them the materials to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. But we should pray without ceasing. The Bible tells us that. Develop the habit of praying either out loud when it's appropriate or to yourself or even internally in your heart regardless of your location or occupation. I remember uh, a few years ago I was putting in a... um, I'm not a carpenter, but I was putting in this air chair in my daughter's room, and it has to, you have to screw this eye bolt or this, this bolt up into the, into the ceiling, and then you, it's a, it's, you have to drill it in there, and then and it's like a corkscrew. You, you turn the hook you know, into the thing, and my stud finder wasn't working very well, and I'm just like, I'm knocking on the things. I, I think that might be the point, and I'm just like, Lord, I have no idea. I, I want to do this once. Because this is plaster, and it's going to get ugly. Dust is going to fall. I, I want to do this once. One shot, Scott. I want to do it once, and I don't want to have to patch this thing and, and then be, you know, trying over here and over here, and oh, you know, and I got all these holes. It looks like, you know, Mars. So I prayed. I'm like, Lord, help. I am not a carpenter. Hi, Sheila Carpenter. But I'm not a carpenter. You get it. Uh, I'm not a carpenter. I don't know how to do this. So I prayed, and this was hilarious. My wife heard me screaming downstairs. I prayed, and I said, Lord, help me with this. I honestly don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where, because I have to find a two-by-four, and it's going this way. It's not you know, the four inches, it's the two inches. i got to find that beam somewhere, and i got to drill right in the center of it. I don't want to be on the edge. And I'm praying, and I'm like, okay, here it goes, Lord. Please help, please help. And I take that bit and I start drilling and the plaster is starting to come down. I'm like, ah. And then all of a sudden, I hit pay dirt. The wood shavings start piling down and it was right in the center. And I was thinking, thank you, God. You answered my prayer. 
funny what happens when you just pray before you do something. That instance like that happened many times. Because I, I just don't know. I don't have a lot of skills in that area. I'm not afraid to try. I, I like to learn. But we should pray always, right? Ephesians tells us, take the helmet of salvation, which is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication. Some things to avoid in corporate prayer, and then we're going to take communion. We have to remember, are we praying to God or are you praying to give information to everyone else in the room? Now, when you're praying by yourself, you don't need to give God information. And when you're praying corporately, you also don't need to give information. You don't need, you know, corporate prayer also doesn't need to be a, to masquerade as a gossip session about talking about other people. Try to avoid praying in 17th century English, King's James English, King, King's, King James English. I actually heard somebody pray in 17th century English before. Lord, thou art holy, and thy servant cometh to thee. Peradventure thy grace wilt cover the guilt of mine transgressions. And everyone's like, wow. I want to pray like that. I want to sound, because everyone's like, wow. I don't know, maybe if you pray like that in your closet in 17th century English that makes you feel closer to God, more power to you, that's fine. But, you know, we don't need to pray like that in public. We don't need to do it to draw attention to ourselves. Not that that person was, but it's possible. And try to resist the temptation of giving background to prayer. You know, like, Lord, I went to Wegmans the other day and I saw an elderly woman sitting in the parking lot crying. Lord, I went over to her to ask her if everything was okay. And Lord, I prayed for her. And God's going, yeah, I was there. In fact, I encourage you to pray for her. So maybe the better thing to do is, Lord, would you encourage and comfort the woman I saw at Wegmans today? Even in corporate prayer, nobody needs to know all of the information. He, God doesn't need the background. He knows who you're talking about. You don't even need to give a name. You can even get specific but not give a name. And that way, and, and then everybody's thinking, who was that that he was talking about? These are things to think about. But to be discreet in corporate prayer, especially when it comes to more delicate issues and sin issues, that maybe somebody has confided in you privately, you know, be careful. You know, don't do this. Lord, I thank you for giving Sister Hagatha the grace to confess her sin of gluttony, gluttony yesterday on the phone. And that she also confessed, Lord, to grand larceny at the department store, Lord and Taylor. Lord, also help her with her weight. As you know, she's 650.2 pounds. And Lord, make those cheese puffs that she keeps stuffing her mouth with night and day gravel in her mouth. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> The angels would be weeping. God would not be listening. And you would be humiliated and everybody else would be too. But in corporate prayer, if you know that your prayer might frustrate or stumble somebody because of a particular opinion, right or wrong, or even a persuasion that you have, refrain from praying it. 
Refrain from praying it audibly. Pray quietly or privately in your heart. You know, it says in Romans, therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather to resolve to do this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. And then in Corinthians, be, be aware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. Our time of prayer, and even my time up here, is not a soapbox, and I've been guilty of that. It's not a soapbox. Prayer, corporate prayer, is not a soapbox for us to get up on. Neither is our time here, or especially my time here. But get to know those who you are praying with. It will make you more sensitive and more loving when we do pray together. And God does answer prayer. It's either yes or no, or maybe even not yet. Even in the lives of the most renowned saints, God has said no to their prayers. But he did answer in a way that they did not expect. For instance, Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians 12, he prayed three times that this, this thorn of, in the flesh would be taken away from him. And what did the Lord tell him? No, Paul, I'm not going to take it away. But my grace is sufficient for you. My strength will be made perfect in your weakness. He said no to Paul. God the Father even said no to Jesus in the garden. Remember when Jesus was praying, he, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he went a little further in the garden, remember, just hours before he'd be taken, and he fell on his face and he prayed, oh, saying, oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he did it three times. The Lord said no. And Jesus knew that the answer was no. It was for this reason that he came into the world. But he also knew the, the horrific thing that it was. What he was about to go through was no one's ever experienced that. And it was so horrible that he's like, if there's any other way, and I know there's not God, but I've never been separated from you. And for a time, I'm going to be separated from you. I've never experienced that. That is a living hell. You and I haven't even experienced being away from God. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. What is the world going to be like when the Spirit of God is restrained and removed, or at least to some degree anyway, in the tribulation period? Can you imagine the torment and the hell that this world's going to be? Can you imagine the torment of soul for the individual who doesn't even have the influence of Almighty God anywhere near them? So don't be discouraged if God says no or yes. Or maybe it's just not yet. Not yet. I'm going to answer that prayer in time. And you're going to have to wait 10 years for that, Rob. He's done that in my life. I've prayed for things and I've waited, I've prayed, I've waited, and then it came to pass. And it's like, it's so much better then. It's like unrequited love. <laughs> It's like when you haven't seen somebody for years and years and years and all of a sudden it comes to pass and the heart's just flooding and you're in tears. That's what it's like. He says, now you're ready to receive this promise. Not until then.
If we could have the worship team come up. We're going to finish this next week. Hey, there was no fire alarm today, was there? Huh. That's interesting. Hmm. We'll finish this next week. And as, as we worship... The ushers are going to do something different that we haven't done in a long time. They're going to serve you communion this morning. So you can just stay in your seats. They'll, they'll do it. Do you guys still remember how to do it? I, I don't know. It's been so long since we've done this. So let's pray, and then uh, let's, let's worship. Father, we just thank you. And Lord, encourage our hearts, Lord, and help us, Jesus, to just trust you, Lord, for all of the things that you're about to do in and through our lives. And Lord, we've heard a lot of things this morning and we're certainly not done, but Lord, we've been challenged and we've been encouraged. And Lord, it's brought some encouragement, some sadness perhaps, but Lord, I pray that we would all come away this morning just being challenged to, to think outside of, of, of the things that we do and increase, Lord, our, our frequency Lord, our quality of it. Lord, that we would come before you recognizing who you really are. Lord, being willing to examine ourselves each time we come before the almighty potentate of the universe. Lord, you are so awesome. And thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for being so patient with us, Lord. And Lord, we just ask for your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when you think about it, when we pray to the Lord, you know, we are communing with Him. Just being quiet before Him and asking Him to touch our lives and to certainly lift up prayers and petitions, supplications, intercessions. We'll talk about that next week. But just to come and just be children to a Heavenly Father who cares and loves and in the Middle East, you know this, that a meal that was shared to anybody, to invite somebody into your home for a meal, was really the closest intimate thing that you could do from a friend next door or a friend down the street. It was, uh, it was basically signifying that the, we're putting in the same things in our body together. And we're doing this together in communion and these tokens that we have before us this morning are, are just that. They're tokens. They're not the literal body and bread of Christ. He died once. There's no need, to be, no need to be sacrificing him over and over again. He died once for sins. But he said, my body was broken for you. On the cross and even before he went on the cross, his body was broken for us. And, and that's why we take this. We acknowledge the suffering that Jesus did and breaking his body being broken for us. He said, do this in remembrance of me. As often as you will, do it in remembrance. And so let's do that. Let's partake. And then Jesus took the cup, remember? He said, this is the blood of the new covenant. The new covenant. The new covenant will be based upon the shed blood of Christ, which hadn't even occurred yet. I find that fascinating, don't you? That 
hours before he would actually go through the deed, Jesus knew exactly what was coming. And he even told his disciples, don't you think I could call a legion of angels now to come and rescue me from this hour, from this moment? But it's for this reason that I came into the world. And so there was a New Testament that he was saying, drink this in remembrance of me. This is the blood of my blood, symbolically, of course, of the new covenant that I am going to fulfill just hours from now, guys. I'm going to do it. Many of you are going to flee, and there may be a few of you who are going to hang around. But I'm going to die for the sin of the world. And I'm going to provide salvation to all who would believe in my sacrifice and, and trust in this atonement that I'm doing, this sacrificial atonement. I'm, I'm doing it in your place so that you don't have to go there, that you don't have to be, your blood doesn't have to be shed because of your sin. I am going to take the sin upon myself. I will be the sin bearer, Jesus says. And I can do it because I have the very blood of God going through my veins. And it's only happened once, and it could only happen once by one person, Jesus Christ. And so that's why we take this, and we take it, and as we take it in, as we swallow it, what does it do? It goes down to our innermost being. And that's really what the gospel message is all about, isn't it? It's all about the inward, as we've been talking about for weeks now. It's all about the inside, not the externals. Don't get hung up on externals. So let's partake. Wonderful. It is such a privilege and a blessing to take communion with you. Do you feel the same? It's not just a ritual we go through. I pray that it never becomes just something, oh hum, this is what we do. But when we think about it, when we think about it, it becomes new again, doesn't it? And I love that. And I think it's supposed to mean that way. It's supposed to, it's supposed to be that way. Oh, Father, it is such a good thing for us to be here, Lord. So good to just be in your presence. And, Lord, would you just encourage us, Lord, as we uh, go from this place today, Lord. And, and, Lord, open our hearts, Lord, to see new things uh, from your word. Lord, to see new ways that we can just exalt your name. Uh, Lord, just uh, fresh things, Lord, just to get our eyes uh, fixed on you, Lord. And so have your way with us today and keep us in your peace, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.